I'm not pulling out of my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so while I'm stuck at home, I decided to interview people that have stuff to do with magic from all over the spectrum. So today I have a very exciting guest, Mark Hagen. So say hi, Mark. Hello. Okay, so... It's a, a, a truly an honor to be on the podcast. <laughs> Long-time listener, first-time guest. So thank you. Okay, so first off, the, the thing I've been asking everybody is, um, well, what is your title so the audience knows what... We'll get into what you do, but just what's your title? Yeah, I am Product Architect. So within the group that makes Tabletop Paper Magic, um, that within that group there's a team called the Product Strategy Team, and I'm part of that team as the Product Architect. Okay, we will get into what you do, but I want to... The way I've been starting all these interviews is by asking the following question of everybody. How did you get into magic? Okay, um, I was in fourth grade when Beta came out. Okay. I was at my friend Paul's house. Um, I still remember it. His big brother, who was kind of like we both looked up to, he ran in the door. He was like, guys, get all the money you can and follow me down to the gaming store down on Central Avenue. Um, so we went down there. He's like, just trust me, buy this new thing. It's called Magic Card. So we, I think we had enough money for like maybe two boosters. Back then you could get either boosters or, or like the starter deck. Um, I think we had enough money for two boosters each. Um, we opened them up started looking through, and immediately, immediately, I was like, this is the most interesting thing I've ever seen. The idea of cards combining, the idea that I got to make my own deck, the idea that I had to, um, that I didn't even know what all the cards were, and someone would show me a new card from their pack, and like, not only was I not aware of it, I didn't, I didn't even understand whole parts of the game, you know? <laughs> so I just immediately fell in love with it and, uh, and never looked back. Okay, so you started in fourth grade, what was the first thing you purchased? Yeah, so I got I right I got two, two we were super we had no money. Fourth graders don't have any money. <laughs> so we had like, you know, lawn mowing allowance money. So I got his, I would get like a booster every couple of weeks. So you know, me and my friends would we'd like I remember going halfers on boosters. Me and me and our friends would like chip in enough money to buy a booster and then we'd like split the cards up. Um we had to we traded a lot because we needed to see new stuff. Um and we we picked colors because like if I, I picked green and Paul picked blue and then we could just like, it just kind of sorted itself out. So I ended up with green and then I moved into blue. So I had like this huge collection, uh, huge for me, you know, like a hundred blue magic cards. that felt very powerful. What was the first um, set though? What was your first set? What's that first set? It was yeah. beta. So yeah, beta, this okay. was beta. And I, I think we, we was like early it, it, magic would, would come into the store and then quickly evaporate. So when it would come in, you know, we'd go in and ask every day after school. He'd be like, no, we're going to get some more tomorrow. Um, and, yeah, so we were just playing beta. Back then, I mean, some people were certainly more connected, but being as young as we were, we we literally didn't know what the cards were. There was no, you know, we weren't looking at any list or anything. We had no idea how the rarity worked or value. I remember just, like, gleefully trading away dual lands and moxes for, like, crawl worms and um, like walls of stone. I'm like, you, you idiot. I'm invincible. Like you'll never get past my wall of stone. Have fun with your artifact that makes a man. And it didn't matter. Like it was, we were truly like engaging it on the, the, the most joyful level. Um, okay. So, so with, yeah, let's fast forward a little bit. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you're in for, you're fourth grade. How long have you played consecutively since fourth grade? I have, I have no, there's been gaps of, um, years. So mm -hmm. every, 
there's like two year gaps kind of sprinkled between then and now. Okay. But I'll say this ever since I was like, once I got to high school and the internet was kind of around from that point on, I was, I've been continually kind of tuned into magic. So even in stretches where I wasn't playing much for me, I, I really enjoy magic just as kind of a, a spectator sport, like seeing what the thing is, hearing about what the new meta is, um, you know, reading about the debate over if a card should be banned or not. Like even in the parts of my life where I wasn't playing, I was always kind of just reading both the articles that would go up on, on the website. Um, I, I just enjoyed kind of being, being around it. Okay. So let's talk about how you went from being a magic fan to being a magic employee. So how did that happen? Yeah, I had, I was, um, I went to school, I went to college for graphic design. So I went to undergrad and then grad school for graphic design. And I was kind of like lined up to do, um, yeah, typography and poster design and that kind of stuff. And, when I got to grad school, I went to a school where you had a lot of freedom. There weren't really classes or grades or assignments. You could kind of do what you wanted. And I, I realized one day, oh, my God, I, could, I think they mean it. I think when they say I could do whatever I want, I think they're, they actually mean that. And I realized games, which I'd always loved, I'd always played, I'd always thought about. I was like, oh, maybe I should just be thinking about games with my, with, you know, with my education. So I started doing game design. I don't know. I just kind of dove in. I started like reading what I could, designing stuff, making stuff up, um, like submitting board game prototypes to companies and never hearing back. You know, whatever, just like all the stuff that that felt so fun. Um, and through that process, I realized, oh no, I actually could could get into game design. So I I got an internship while at grad school in in game design for a studio in New York. And then from that point on, I was just always in gaming. I was always in digital gaming, um, and I just kind of went through through a. Uh, a series of jobs doing kind of different elements of, of game stuff that was interesting to me and fun to me. Uh, but that whole time, I always thought, yeah, but but Wizards R&D. Like, Wizards R&D, to me, just go, my whole life had been this kind of, like, I don't know, it's like the city of Oz. It's just like this thing, and... Um, and so, so how did that happen? How'd you, how'd you, how'd you get into the city of Oz? How'd you, how did the, how the actual job... I, I, Happened. Yeah, what I did was I, I set a, for like a decade, I ha you could subscribe, you probably still can't, you can subscribe to the Wizards job posting. So every time there's a new job that goes up, they email you. So for literally a decade, I would I was aware of every job that was posted. I knew I wasn't like, a, I, I, I was not a strong magic player. I was not a strong, super strong, like pure game designer. But I thought there's something, someday there's going to be a job that's for me. And one day this job showed up, it was called Principal Product Designer was the job that came up. And I started reading this description and it was like, um, you know, help craft magic, like be the kind of nexus between business and design and experience. And, and it, it, was, it was things that were very similar to what I had been doing at the time. And I, I was living in New York at the time. I had a great job. I, I loved it very much. But I read that description and I was like, I think this is it. So I went home. I told my wife, hey, I want to move to Seattle. Is there a chance we should to take a run at this thing? And so after a decade of looking at this stuff, I sent in my application and before you know, I was having interviews. I came out. I sat down with you um, and, yeah. and and all these people that I had been, you know, like looking at your tiny headshots, uh, you know, uh, while reading articles for forever. And I was um, talking to you guys. I remember your interview. That was uh, fun. You were. Uh... Do, you, do you remember what happened you, when you walked in the room? Uh, what happened when I walked in? So <laughs> I'm in this tiny room, and the, the way the interviews were done then is you'd have like four people. For half an hour, then they leave. Then four more people. Then it was like a grueling day. And halfway through this day, I'm like, I look up and you walk in the room and you're, hey, I'm Mark. And just then, there's a clock on the wall behind you, and it falls off the wall and it explodes on the ground, like shatters. This plastic <laughs> clock explodes on the wall, and um, 
I'm like, oh, this is some, some kind of test to <laughs> see how I react under pressure or something. But. Uh, I, I remember seeing, I remember your, your first interview, I don't remember the clock falling off the wall, but, uh, okay, okay, so, you get the job. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you actually do. Like, you, you gave a name, and that sounds impressive, but what, right. tactfully, what do you do? Yeah, there are, there's kind of, um, two main parts to, to what we do. Um, we are not, we, we are working on the product of magic, not the game of magic, if that makes sense. So, I'm not working on card designs. Um, I am not spending my time like crafting sets or, or worlds. I'm I'm spending my time thinking about the ways that that we that our building and our group can take those cards and those sets and those worlds um, and turn them into products that people can actually um, buy and own and and open. So so sometimes I'm thinking about what I, like our product strategy. Like hey, should we be doing more fixed decks like commander decks or planeswalker decks, or should we be doing less? Right. That's kind of a, it's not obvious how that works. Should we be releasing a set? Um, you know, in this month, or should we push it back to the following month? That kind of stuff. What is the released product that you worked you worked a lot, a lot on? It's something that we can talk about because it's been released. Yeah, let's see. I've worked on um, a combination of, of individual products and sets. So some sets I've been uh, we have a product architect assigned to every set. So um, Modern Horizons or okay, uh, let's, let's talk about Modern Horizons. Set, you you were you right. were the so what does that mean? You're the what, what product? What's the technical term? The product. I was the product architect. Okay, product architect. Okay, so Modern Horizons come. So, yep. okay, so Ethan and I pitch Modern Horizons uh, yep. during the hackathon. It gets picked as the product, and then Ethan leads the vision design. We make it. It passes off to I think Adam Prozac, who did the set design. Um, and so, what happens? When do you get involved? When you, when are you? And what do you what are you doing with Modern Horizons? Right. That's a great question. So. Um, if you can, so you, all the people you just you just listed are kind of working um, on on how this thing plays. But you can you can imagine kind of in parallel for the whole life of a, of a set like that. There's a bunch of questions about how this thing will work, um, not mechanically, but just kind of in the world. So for example, there were questions early on around how legality of this set should work. Like should this like in what formats can you play this set? And it's not my decision to make that, but it's my job to kind of help facilitate that, get our heads around that, have the right conversations. Mm-hmm. There's also questions about like when it should come out. So it's not obvious when when to release a set. There's a lot of constraints, and, and so I worked on that stuff. But then there's also stuff like what's in the pack. Like should this have a foil in every pack? Should it have some new interesting stuff that we've never done before? What should the frames look like? What should the expansion symbol look like? All that stuff is stuff that, that I'm really helping run. And is price point part of what you do? And price point, right? Like, like, how is this thing meant to work? Um, is it limit? Do we print only a little, little bit and let it run out? Is it print to demand? How much do we sell it in for? All that stuff. So yeah, as you can see with Modern Horizons, we did a bunch of interesting stuff. It, the formats are unusual. Um, you look in a booster and it had those art cards. That's a great example. It had these little um, art cards. That, it's not a magic card. It's just a kind of a collectible piece of art that came out of thinking I was doing with other people. Like we had a lot of beautiful artwork in the set. This set works a little bit different. It feels appropriate to try some new stuff. So after a lot of brainstorming, we said, hey, what if we just took a shot with these kind of weird objects? And then from that point, I had to work with, okay, like how many of them will fit on the form and how much will that add to the production costs? And will it slow things down and who picks them and, and all this stuff? So I'm, I'm kind of like working alongside. I'm kind of advocating for a product all the way through. Again, I'm not designing it. I'm not, um, I'm not building it myself, but I'm, I'm the kind of through line as it's going between groups like the legal department and the production and sales and world building and game design. I'm the kind of constant thread who can go through all that. 
And it sounds like your job is to ask a lot of questions. Like, yeah, absolutely. Your, your job is to say, A, B, C, and D all have to get answered. Not that you answer them, but you make sure the people who have to answer them know that they have to answer it. Right? right, right. There's so many, like, these sets are so complicated that you, we, we can't afford to play, like, a game of telephone each time something comes through. So, for example, I work on the, it's, it's my job for the products I'm on to make sure that the kind of finances, that we can afford to, to make what we want to make, for example. So if someone has an idea, um, if game design has an idea, hey, what if we did a thing with double face cards that sounds fun from their side, um, it, it, we, I can't I can't ask that person to then go talk to the finance department and see if we have the budget to, to run the printers in that way. They're too busy. Like people don't have time to answer those questions. And it's too like it would never work. So so I'm the person I, I hear it from. So game design comes to me and says, hey, Mark, we would love to be able to put double face cards in the set. And then I say, say no more. I got it. I'll report back. Then I go to a whole different part of the building. I talk to production. I talk to legal. I talk to well, whatever, whoever I need to talk to. I get the answer. I go back. I help make decisions. I um, um, advocate or adjudicate or whatever needs to be done. And then at the end of the day, I come back and I say, we got it. Here's how, you know, go forward. We got this. Or sometimes I have to say, you know what? Unfortunately, double face cards aren't really on the table. Let's work together to find out um, other exciting stuff we could do that that um, that is in bounds. Yeah. One of the things that you've, that uh, I don't talk a lot about the, the business side of things, but like when I'm making a set, and I'm doing something that I know is not normal, one of the things I have to do is go talk to my product architect and say, hey, like, exactly, when I did Innistrad for the first time, very early on, I had to go and say, double-faced cards, right? Is this a thing we can do? It requires extra sheets, and it requires different stuff. Or, or even more recently, like at Coria, this wasn't, I know you didn't product this set, um, but like the punch-out cards, you know, I want to have punch-out cards. Well, not that magic can't do it, but it costs something, and and it right. like every set has so much budget, and when you're trying to do something, you have to figure out whether it fits in the budget. And right. I think your job is somebody's got to be kind of the overseer that's coordinating everything. And the, the, the way I interact with you and with uh, all the different project architects is I have grandiose ideas, and I got to go. Right. Okay. It, is this something I can explore? And usually the answer I get from, from you guys is go explore it and then let us know what you need. And then we'll go figure out whether or not it's feasible or not. And then they come back and it's either it's feasible, but there's some, you know, it, it, because you're doing this, you can't do something else or, Oh, here's why it's not feasible. Maybe you want to right. consider something else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think when things work well, um, I'm hopefully taking as much. I'm just I'm letting all the different parts of the system be as creative and kind of expansive as possible. Whether that's game design or world building, or our sales department or our partners in arena. I want all those people to just feel like they can have ideas all the time. They don't have to self censor. And then I'll help figure out what we can or can't do. Um, but you know, hopefully, I'm kind of like making everyone else around me be a little bit more aggressive and, and creative and, and experimental because they feel like, well, I have the support and if I'm causing trouble to some other part of the system, Hagen will figure that out yeah. and um, I won't get in trouble. Yeah, no, I mean, one of the things that's nice, I mean, like I said, one of the reasons I've been doing all these interviews, A, I'm stuck at home, but B is <laughs> so many people make magic that I think the average player doesn't understand all the nuance of things and right. I find the business part of things 
Like, a lot of times people ask me something, and I'm like, oh, we didn't have the budget. It's like, they don't think in that terms. I mean, we have to right, think of that right. terms, but they don't think in that terms of, why'd you do A or do B? And I'm like, oh, like, for example, another big thing that comes up is, how many cards do you get? How much? How right. many pieces of arts do you get? You know, um, that's one of the questions I'm always asking is like, okay, how big can my set be? And the main sets, the normal sets are somewhat have a structure, um, but the supplemental sets can be all over the board depending on what you're trying to do. Right. Okay, right. I want to talk about... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was, no, I was, I, I was just going to say, yeah. this game is so... It's so complex in so many different ways, and it's... Uh, every day I'm surprised thinking, realizing more kind of like impacts and um, the realities that that happen when, when you know you're, you push one button on one side of the machine and on the other side something dramatic happens so there's a lot going on yeah were you the um were you the project architect for unsanction or is that is that uh purpose no that that's not me that's yeah not so we, we we for the listeners at home we, we there's multiple pe- um, people who who act as as project architects on okay. sets and we're each assigned different products and so some of these things I'm very, very close to, and right. the other sets, it's like, oh no, that I had very little. To and do you tend to a lot of the core set stuff. Like, what, what, what is your specialty? Yeah, I uh, I started off doing when I first kind of showed up. The first sets they gave me were the core sets. I was doing all our acquisition stuff, so I still oversee our acquisition strategy. So anything that we're creating in paper to try to welcome people into the game, that's under me. So yeah, so I did the um, M19 and M20, M21, and then after that, I started doing. Other stuff, so War of the Spark, Modern Horizons, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those those things just kind of layered in it as I spent more time here. Okay. And then some of the stuff I'm doing is like guild kits. So when we did Ravnica, we wanted to make these guild kits, which are like little special boxes that celebrated one of the guilds. And those were just a very interesting kind of standalone product with lots of, you know, we spent a lot of time figuring out like um, what the taxation on a metallic pin was in Italy. You know, like these very specialty <laughs> solutions that you just end up answering once for one product and then never deal with it again. Okay, so another project that you were very involved in I want to talk about is Secret Lair. Right. So t- talk about the, 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 the origin of Secret Lair. How did that come about? Yeah, The um, so when I first got here, I've been a wizard for about three years. When I first got here, we didn't sell anything direct to consumer. We also weren't selling on Amazon. We, we really were running everything through basically one sales channel, through our distributors, then to WPN <clears throat> or to mass market. Um, meanwhile, I was, I'm a, a shoot, a sneaker collector. I, I, I was really getting into sneaker collecting at the time. And so every morning I was setting my alarm clock and waking up to compete, um, for these little, um, like flash sales they were having for specialty release sneakers. And then I would go home at night and I would look at like old sneakers or, or decide, you know, what to put next to my collection. Oh, by the way, look, be- look behind you. Oh, you know, they can't see it. I, I, I can yeah. visually see you. Uh, this is an audio, sorry. Uh, but all behind you is all these sneakers, though. Yeah, I'm, I in, know, my shoe, uh, I'm in my shoe closet during the... Ah, uh, so it's funny. There. Anyway, uh, it's not video, but... Uh, I forgot for a second it's not video, but uh, he, he's... <laughs> behind him is all these sneakers, though. Uh, okay, so, so, you, yeah, so you, you were so into I sneakers. sneakers. Okay. I, I was... I was, a, I was... It was so much fun. It was like I enjoyed shopping for these things and collecting these things and I re- and I, but, and they have so much in common with, with magic cards. They're collectible. They kind of have reissued, which is kind of like our, our, our reprints and, and special versions, special edition, all that stuff. And magic was just doing none of that. And I thought there's gotta be some version of this for magic cards. It just, there's a joyful, like there's a fun way to buy magic cards for some people that involves just interesting ways of buying things. It, you can't just get it off the shelf. It, it works a little differently. So I started thinking about what would it mean if, if we released cards in different ways? 
maybe only available in limited numbers or a limited time, or, or we could just do different things with them. We could surprise you with them. We didn't have to worry about, I don't know, the person at the store seeing it before we wanted to announce it, all that stuff. And so I started thinking hard about this idea of, of kind of a direct line where we could sell special versions of cards, get them in the hands of people who are interested, and it's kind of totally optional. So people who aren't interested can just ignore the whole thing. That's fine. It's like sneakers. Most people on the planet don't care at all when they come out with a new version of um, shoes, but for the people who do, it, it, it's a, it's kind of a, a beautiful part of the hobby. And so, yeah, we, it took years, frankly. We worked with a lot of groups, a lot of partners to solve problems, and then we ended up launching at the end of last year the Secret Lair Drop Series. And, uh, yeah, we're going strong. Um, so... So one of the things I enjoy about Secret Lair is how the, the, it just has such variety to it that it's just who knows who the next Secret Lair is going to be. Uh, there's right. something very fun about that. Like, like for example, uh, talk a little bit about how the uh, April Fool's one came to be. Yeah, we with Secret Lair, we like you can do small things, which isn't the case with a set. You're like if you're going to build a set or a world or a mechanic, nothing can be small. It's like it, it's too big of a thing. With Secret Lair, you can just have little sometimes dumb little ideas and just they're great they're fantastic it's the right size so we had a bunch of brainstorming around like okay we're going to do these secret layers we're going to do a pack about rats we're going to do a pack about goblins we're going to do a pack about this art style and actually brian holly um from play design came to me and he was like here's what april fool should be it should be full art squire um and we were, we just thought it was so funny. We laughed so hard. And so, yeah, we worked really hard on on kind of fleshing that out. I worked with him in play design actually very closely. Like, what are the funniest bad cards? Like, you know, is is Stormcrow more or less funny than than this other option? And we ended up with, with a list. We got our artists to do these, like, gorgeous full art cards. Um, and then, yeah, and then we we always knew the launch was good. Like, the, the actual sale was going to be special. Um, we ended up getting kind of blown out by the coronavirus and everything but it, it ended up you know these things are going to go out they will exist in the world stores will have these these beautiful terrible cards um and it's it's going to go down and you know for people who like this stuff like you just never would there's no other way to do this you could not have done that in a set you could not have done that in some kind of big expensive um i don't know commander deck like i don't know how else you would ever get to these things so that's what secret layer is for okay so my next question for you is what is your favorite impact you've had on a, a magic product? It's a great question. Um, that is a great question. There, there's some upcoming stuff I'm really proud of. But okay, of stuff the audience knows. We can't uh, preview things uh, they don't know. There's cool stuff coming though. We'll say that. Yeah. The you know I, I I will say like when I look at some of the stuff we're doing with Secret Lair. The artists we're working with, the styles we're bringing into cards, um, to me that is really, it's so exciting to me. Magic has always been about a lot of kind of, um, we're telling a lot of different stories. There's a lot of characters. We, ha we have a lot of different worlds that we point the camera at. But to me, you know, looking at something like the Serum Visions cards that we created, which just have art styles that that, that are stuff we probably never would have gotten to um, ever, just, just visiting world after world, um, I, I, to me that's really... Uh, I hope other people, I hope some people out there enjoy it because to me it, it means so much that we've kind of opened up magic in a way and, and let, let it kind of explore on the sides. Not, you know, we're not changing the, the, the bread and butter. Mainstream magic is, is always going to be mainstream magic. But the fact that we kind of like opened our door and, and invited a few more people in to, to just fall in love with magic cards who, 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 um, 
to which that art really speaks to, that's something I'm very proud of. Okay, so you mentioned that you did War of the Spark. Yeah. That was another very well-received product. So what yeah. what was your involvement in War of the Spark? What, 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 sort of, what were the challenges of War of the Spark? Yeah, War of the Spark was one where, when I picked that up, I think, uh, you know, the idea of going big, having a lot of planeswalkers, all that stuff was worked out. Um, we hadn't, we had never done an, an event set. I mean, as, as you've talked about it, it, it really was new in so many ways. So, um, a lot of my challenge was explaining this to people, honestly, just to start inside the building. Like we'd go to our partners who were going to be doing a, a marketing campaign for this. And we really had to spend a lot of time really getting their heads around what this thing even was. Like, what do you mean an event set? What do you mean? 36, you can't do 36. Like, what do you mean? How, will they be bad? Or like, and, and so we spent a lot of time just working with them, kind of getting them, you know, like bringing them onto our page and like, here's the vision of this thing um, so that they could then go out and, and spread that to the audience. Yeah, one of the original things that people don't realize that in the building is they thought that us staying on Ravnica for a third set was like insane. And we kept saying, well, it's not really about Ravnica. Right. <laughs> I right. mean, yeah, yeah, it's on Ravnica, but it's not about Ravnica. Um, and that, I know that was a hard sell inside the building. Yeah, so we had all these conversations around around that kind of stuff. We did the... Um, the Japanese alt planeswalker promotion. Um, and that wasn't, that was brand new. We'd never really done anything like that. And so, um, yeah, it, it took a lot of work from a lot of people. I was one of them, but a lot of people worked very hard to figure out how would that even work? What's that going to mean for collectability? How will you get these cards? Will they be too rare or too common or will people enjoy them? So yeah, we did a lot of work on, on a lot of those kind of things to, to just kind of make the final, um, product happen. Were you involved with the trailer in any way? No, the trailer. No, the trailer comes out of a different group. I, I, I kind of. It was a big part of my job to get that group up to speed, but then they did the trailer work itself, um, mm-hmm. and, and worked with us. We, you know, we were kind of like um, uh, chipping in and, and answering questions. But how how much do you guys work with marketing? Um, a lot. I think they are. Um, we are a very close partnership. We spend a lot of time making sure they understand what we're trying to do. They spend a lot of time making sure that what we're, that what they want to say about the set is true. You know, you, you can imagine um, with something like a tagline for a set, it's, it's kind of, if you're not paying attention, it's easy to get that stuff out of alignment with what's inside the set. So like, you know, um, with something like War of the Spark, like what is, you know, if you have to sum that all up in a poster, in one image and one tagline or, or, or a little bit of copy, they want to make sure that that's going to match what's inside the boosters. And so we become their conduit where they can come to us, bounce ideas off, sh- show us drafts of stuff. And we can say, you know, oh, actually, the set's not really about Ravnica. You know, mm-hmm. I, yes, it takes place there, but or the Spark's not really a Ravnica set. Um, so maybe, you know, play down this part about Ravnica or really the highlight here. What we really want to focus on is the Planeswalkers or that kind of thing. So we work with them all the time <clears throat> um, and set them up to, to then to do the work that they need to do. Um, so you, you were the product, I, we can't talk too much because it's not out yet, but on um, the next core set. Yep. Yep. Um, so we, we'll talk, we'll talk in oblique terms because I don't want to give anything away, but uh, was it, did you find that to be a challenging set to do? Are, are core you know, sets? What are the challenge of core sets? I mean, what what, what does it require yeah. you? I'll tell you what. So I, when when I first came back, my first set was was M nineteen, which at the time was the return of core sets. We had taken a break. We came back to core sets. Um, our our approach to acquisition and to what 
what new players should be handed has, has evolved a lot since then. And so I think when we were doing M19, we were spending a lot of time thinking about how to um, kind of comfort new players. Like, okay, it, magic is very confusing. There's so much going on. The rule, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of words, a lot of lingo, all that stuff. And so back then, um, we, you know, a lot of our effort was thought like, okay, how can we make sure we're not overwhelming or, or confusing players? How can we make this work on their terms? Um, it's changed a bit as we've gone. We've kind of um, learned a lot. We've done a lot of research, and, and we've kind of changed a lot of our acquisition strategy. And these days, you, as you'll see with M21 when it comes out, we want it to be welcoming. We don't want to confuse people. But also we realize that a lot of what we – the power here is how not to not, – not not confuse players, but to excite players, that even a new player – it doesn't. It's not good enough just to have words they can understand or, or rules that are simple enough that they can get it. We also have to get them excited and help them fall in love with the game. So over time, my approach to corsets and our whole building's approach to corsets has evolved, um, which has been really fun. It's been interesting to see what that what that does to a card set, what it does to the things we do or don't allow ourselves to do with these products. Um, and so yeah, it's been great to kind of evolve personally and professionally, and from a product side between. Um, M19, M20, and now M21. Yeah, one of the things that are excited for M21, like I said, we're only talking oblique terms here, but um, the fact that the, how Jumpstart connected to it, and they sort of, they're two products that had some synergy with each yeah. other. Um, like, I think Jumpstart, like, once again, we can't talk too much about it, but I, it's a very innovative and cool product, and it's something right. I'm, like, really excited for the public to, to eventually get their hands on. Yeah, jump, Jumpstart is... It, uh, I'm right there with you. And as people will see, Jumpstart is, it's a very, it's not just a different kind of set. Like it, it is a set. Technically it's a set of magic cards, but it's not just like a different approach to designing a set. It is a different approach to every part of magic, what it means to be a booster, what it means to open boosters, what it means to play sealed, what it means to build a deck, what it means to, to wrap up cards within a booster in plastic. Like all of those things we rethought for Jumpstart. It was super fun. It was it, one of the hardest products we've ever made, um, but it's so rewarding because, yeah, when you, I think when people get their hands on it, they're going to see, like, maybe it's for them, maybe it's not. But I think everyone's going to agree, like, wow, this is not business as usual. This is not what I expected from a corset. This is a very different kind of experience. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I will say, I, I, I'm, I'm almost to work here, so we got to wrap up. But uh, one of the things I will say is I'm very impressed that Arnie doesn't tend to rest on its laurels. I mean, Magic's been doing very well, right. uh, but we're like we're constantly pushing to try to do new things. And I mean, Jumpstart's a great example of that. There's things in the future that you guys don't know yet that I can't even talk about. But we are we are definitely pushing a lot to see what we can do. Uh, and a lot of that job rests on Mark and and the product architects because you know we're constantly like, here's a new idea of something we've never done before. How about that? Right. And. Uh, I, I always get a... You're always enthusiastic. The thing I like about you guys is, like, I'll come with some crazy idea, and you're like, okay, how can we make that work? And you you, don't, you never yeah. say to me, or rarely do you say to me, yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it you is. do eventually. Sometimes you come back. But it's always like, okay, and then at least you gather data. Like, if, when you turn me down, it's more like, well, here's the reason why we can't do it. Right, right. So... Yeah, it's it's so true, and it's... um it it's it, I think it really is the, it's the centerpiece of why this is such a great place to work and a great team to be a part of um, it's just a very, people have, people are hungry. People here have big appetites and big eyes and they're like, well, what if, and they just let, we let ourselves fall in love with these crazy ideas. And then, you know, for something like jumpstart, we, you know, we literally had to, 
there were people who built like a new robot to work in the factory yeah. and to invent a robot to make that product work. Right. The pr- I mean, the pr- wait, the- it, was wor- it was worth it. It was worth it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the, the, it's funny. Like, the, printing, the people, our printers, couldn't do it. And we're like, we want to do it. They go, okay, we'll figure out how to do it. And, right. They right. had to innovate so that they could make the product. So, right. So, um, yeah, okay. That shows up, shows up. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. And I, once again, I, I, I hope the audience, I hope this was very illuminating in that um, while people like me might be on the forefront, you know, I'm a little more visible than most. Uh, magic is made. There's a whole network of people doing all sorts of important jobs. And I, I just want to stress like you, you, you do a lot of, you're, you're the center of a, a lot of the chaos and trying to control things. So, Hey, I appreciate you very much. Um, Thank you. and I'm, Thank that, you. that's why I wanted to have you on my show, but I've now come to my den. So we all know what that means. <laughs> this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking Thank magic, you. It's time for me to be making magic. So I want to thank you for being on the show. Yes, thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. And uh, uh, that's, I, I, that's a wrap, guys. So I will see you all next time. Bye-bye.